0: Welcome to another episode of It's About Damn Time podcast. I'm Jared Dam. And this week we have a serious conversation about something that's plaguing the entire United States of America. Probably the world. Probably so. Um, it's a great, great conversation. But before I do that, want to do a little bit of housekeeping. I do like saying housekeeping at the beginning of podcasts. Um, whether you listen to us on Apple, um, Google, Spotify, Spotify um iHeartRadio, you know, wherever, all the major, we're everywhere. Um, feel free to go ahead and make sure you hit that subscribe button on Apple and Google. Uh hit that follow button on Spotify and iHeartRadio. And, you know, write a review. If they have a review there, you can talk about things like, hey, I love this podcast. I love the positivity it brings. He makes me laugh. He has a, a very nice voice. Any of that will do. <laughs> but um if you don't have one of those applications, feel free to go to the That's where I keep all of my digital content um blogs, video posts, podcasts um this is not the only podcast. I'm also a part of the vex intellects podcast It's also all available there on the whole damn show. Dot com. That's D-A-W-H-O-L-E-D-A-M-N-S-H-O-W.com. Now, with that being said, it's about damn time that I spoke to Hannah Brown. Hannah is a writer and soon to be author because I'm pushing it out there for. Her. We talked about that uh, later on in the podcast, but Hannah uh, writes about her journey through addiction. And what's and what's so important is that she was addicted to opioids for years. She talks about how her addiction started. She talks about the struggle, how relationships were impacted, and more importantly, everyone loves a comeback story. And she talks about how she came back from all of that, um, and she's in a great place now and able to share the story with people. So I didn't even have questions. I you know like I normally like to prepare questions. This was just a straight conversation, and it was so enjoyable. Um, I had a great time speaking with her, and uh, that book is coming soon. I'm going to work with her on that. So sit back, relax, listen to Hannah and me. It's about damn time. here i tell my story hannah wow man you know what how you doing it's been it's been a while
1: i'm great i'm just really great like i'm better than i've ever been i'm happy
0: i am so glad like i i i, I was thinking back um preparing for this conversation because I, mm. this is not gonna be an interview this is strictly gonna be a conversation but as I, was, um, as I was preparing for it, I, I kind of went back and looking at some of the stuff.
1: Uh, we've known each other for 10 years. I know. It's been a long time. Oh, my God. I don't even remember. What was it? Black Planet? Twitter? Something. I don't know. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Yeah. It was a really long time ago.
0: Like, like that's the one thing that I I like about doing this podcast, remembering how I met somebody, and a lot of people I've met through Twitter that are that have stayed stand the, the test of time, and, and I was like, I don't even use Twitter like that anymore, and it's crazy that... I don't I didn't think get that it on Twitter.
1: was Twitter, because I did use Twitter for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through some of your old stuff, I'm like, Twitter. It the Twitter.
1: bubble tweet. Remember the bubble tweet? yeah. Man, look, I was killing the bubble tweet at the strip club boy. (laughs) I thought I was special. (laughs) I liked it. I enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, I'm so glad that website went down because it would be out there forever. Oh yeah. But it's gone. Bubble tweet stuff is gone. Thank God. By the grace of God.
0: Yeah. All right. So 10 years. And and what and and what I know what I think about so much with you is your writing. Now I, now I know you worked on different projects before and you would always give me like a little sample of stuff. And I, I, even, even to this, this morning I went back and reviewed some of it. Your writing is so descriptive. Like you, you. you paint a picture, like I am there wherever you are. And, I Thank mean, down you. to the down to the smallest detail, and that's, and that's what I've always loved about your writing. Thank you.
1: Um, you probably have stuff in mind that I don't
0: have anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna have to send it to you so you can be like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that when I think about your writing, I think two things. I think I think one of uh, how descriptive you are, and you you put people uh, where you are in your mindset, in the location, and two. I think I think it's very unique that, that you do um, talk about your journeys with abuse, um, right. you know, because, you know, as we talked about off mic, there's a certain vulnerability when you're opening up to people. Yeah. Uh, and so it's hard, but you've done it. And and, 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 and I know you, you talk about stuff that you want to do more and, and things that you were kind of hesitant about. But at the same time, what you have done. You know, it changes people. It shapes lives. It it motivates people. So, um, talk to me a little bit about your experience um, with addiction and and how that how that started.
1: So, I never did drugs. I mean, I really never did. I was actually scared of drugs. Like my mother used to tell me that cocaine was like the devil. That drugs were like the devil. And I remember I had a surgery when I was a kid, and when I woke up from the surgery, I felt horrible. And my mother was like, that's what drugs feel like. Uh-huh. So I was terrified of drugs, but I had I had an elective surgery, cosmetic surgery, and they gave me Percocet. And it just went downhill from there. And it was a lot less regulated then.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And I'm very manipulative. I have that gift. I don't think it's a gift. I don't use it for evil anymore, but I used to. So I was just able to get doctors to write me prescriptions and it got crazy. It got, I'm surprised I'm alive. Really? Surprised. Like I woke up so many days. Like, how did I wake up? Like I shouldn't have woken up. It was scary.
0: So it started, it started with, with, with Perkinson after, after elective surgery and mm-hmm. it just, it just went on from there. So was it strictly just those particular pills or did
1: you? Nope it went from Percocet to Oxycontin to methadone and methadone is listen, I thought I would never get off of methadone. Like I really, my intention was just, um, to live forever on methadone. Like I didn't think it was possible to live without it because the withdrawals are so serious Yeah. Like you really think you're going to die.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, it was a lot, but I got away with it for a long time, and I lived, which most of my friends are dead. They overdosed or, you know, it's, it's a dangerous, dangerous drug. And I was using it in a very dangerous way. I think I almost was like self, well, I was. I was self-destructive. So, you know, when you're addicted to drugs, you feel like, you feel really bad about yourself. Yeah. So it just snowballs.
0: So you had a, so you you, you end up having a lot of friends that were that were addicted to to these opioids and 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 like you're like the only one that survived out of all that.
1: Well, I wouldn't say I'm the only one, but um, yeah, I have a lot of dead friends. like I mean, my son's father died not directly from drugs, but as a result of violence, right, you know, because of drug use. And um, my very best friend, everybody. Like I, I went to treatment in Philly, and I think out of the people that I was in treatment with in Philly, may most of them are gone now. Most of them didn't make it, like or are in jail, or you know they say it leads to jails, institutions, or death. Mm-hmm. And when you're in it, you kind of roll your eyes at that. But looking back, it's absolutely true. Like there's no other you have to recover or you end up in jails, institutions or dead. like I know a lot of people that died, a lot of people, and I'm still working through that, like I still go to therapy and you know it's trauma, yeah,
0: that's a lot to have on you to, to think about that. like people that you clicked with that that were you know within in recovery with you that are not here and and that you're still here. I mean, they're
1: good people. Like most people think that drug addicts are bad people or like homeless people or, you know, there's this stigma. I think it's getting better now, but you know, because so many like suburban housewives are addicted to pills, Right, but they're good people. They're just people that were addicted to drugs. But when you get to know people like that you realize that they're not bad people. You love them. You know, they're good people. They just have a problem.
0: So tell tell me. All right. So you started you started with the with the pills. Tell me. Tell me how your life's changed once once you start becoming um, addicted, because, you know, like you like you talked about, you went from being completely scared of drugs to to Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're trying to get you're trying to get pills. How did life change?
1: Like the belly of the beast, so it was like I when I was young, really, really young, like nineteen, I was a stripper, and then I went to nail school, and I did nails, and I had a really decent life. Like I feel like I had a great life, actually, and um, the drugs kind of make it so that first of all, you're numb, so you're not able to take other people's Uh, how your how your drug use is affecting them you're not able to like really understand the magnitude of it so you kind of just brush it off Mm -hmm. so I really did ruin some relationships my family my friends everybody and I went back to the strip club because it was easier than being in a nail salon because people can tell you're high and and I would try to You know it's the same thing with every drug addict you try to hide it and you think people can't tell and they're not going to notice but it's so obvious right right. so in the strip club it's kind of like expected and nobody faults you and it's just like the norm so i was 39 years old in the strip club Uh which is crazy that's crazy and i was 39 years old in the strip club like yeah I'm giving these little 20-year-old 20-year-old girls around for their money like proud of it. Like I was out of my mind. I feel like I was literally crazy.
0: I mean, so and, and so you you would think that the the drugs helped affected you with that mentality and like okay, this is this is something that I want to do. I'm 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 schooling these 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 young girls. Yep. how to how to how to do this. <laughs>
1: which is crazy it doesn't I mean, even make sense well it's
0: a it's a look i mean it's a lifestyle that people can get caught up in especially if they're living a fast life so it's That's no ju- it's no judgment with that you know the, the i think that i think the thing is people people work in strip clubs and Just much like people do drugs for different reasons. Right, right. And it it might be what's going on with them. It might be to escape things. It may be they just want to live a different lifestyle that they've they've been, you know, maybe they've been sheltered. It's so many different reasons why to do that. So I guess that's why, you know, drug abuse and and alcohol abuse and and strippers and and, and, and things that nature always link up together. So it's no shame in that. That's just what's the, the mindset when you, when you're addicted.
1: Yeah, and I never felt good about it though. Like I was in treatment, in an outpatient treatment program in Philadelphia. And um, I felt like I was getting better, but the, the more I got better, the less comfortable I was in the strip club. Like I was just never comfortable there sober. I couldn't do it. I felt like it wasn't me because by nature, I'm kind of a shy person and socially awkward and like, you know, so without the drugs, it just was super uncomfortable and it just didn't work, it didn't work. I couldn't do it. So thankfully I had, I don't know how, I feel like I'm just like covered in angels, but thankfully I have people in Philadelphia, like Philadelphia is a hardcore city. You don't just show Mm -hmm. up in Philly and with nothing and you're okay, but I just have people, that looked out for me and I was okay. Um, Like my counselor in Philly, his name is Ray. He really, really helped me. And he would always tell me like, you can't trust your own thinking. And I didn't believe it. For a long time, I was like, he's crazy. Like, how are you gonna tell me I can't trust my thinking? Like, you don't know what I'm thinking, but he was right. Like, I really couldn't trust my thinking. And And I was in treatment for three years. And I think that when my son's father died, it kinda hit home. Like I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I can't have my son have two dead parents. It's ridiculous. Like it just, it's horrible. So that's when I started actually putting effort into treatment. And when you put effort into treatment, it works.
0: So you you were on and off for three years in treatment or were you like doing treatment and then you you were doing treatment and then you still go into the strip club and then.
1: Right. I was in a methadone clinic. So in a methadone clinic, you have to go to like, I don't remember, I think it's three hours, three or four days a week of group therapy. And then you have to do one hour of like one on one therapy a week, something like that. But I would just sit there and like tune everybody out. Because I had to be there because I had to get my methadone. Right. But um, over time, I think when I was sitting there tuning him out, it was still getting into my brain. I was just trying not to pay attention. But when I went to access the information, when I when I was in a place where I wanted to do better, the information was there. Like I had sat through so many groups and so many therapy sessions that i knew what to do when i wanted to do it i had the information which was invaluable like it was it's a hard thing to do yeah it's like the hardest thing i've ever done but i took suboxone which helped which is like i feel like a miracle drug because i don't know how else you ever get off of methadone like
0: so tell me about that what's What's, what's, is that like a substitute for methadone or is it it helped wing you off methadone?
1: Yeah, it's like an opiate blocker. Okay. So like the way that I understand it and I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going to tell you how I understand it is that when you take opiates, there are receptors in your brain that the opiates fill the receptors. So when they become empty, you get sick and you feel horrible uh-huh. and you go chase the drug because you don't want to be so sick and it's like deadly sick. Like, it really is like, just kill me, God, I don't wanna do this, sick. So, and it lasts forever. Like, I guess with heroin, it's a, it's a week, but with methadone, it's like a month, like it's horrible. It's, it's, it's horrible. So um, they came out with this drug Suboxone and my father's wife is a doctor. And I remember she told me about it and I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. Cause I wasn't ready. But when I was ready, it worked. So basically you stop taking the opiates for a period of time, I don't know, two or three days. And so that your receptors become empty and you're sick for those two or three days. Maybe it's longer, I don't remember. But then you take the Suboxone and it fills the opiate receptors so that not only does it take away the sickness, but if at that point you were to do drugs, they wouldn't work. Because receptors are filled,
0: right?
1: Like a safety net, I feel like.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And when I came back to Arizona, I was on Suboxone, and I feel like it saved my life. Wow. I feel like it saved my life. They put a, they put a, um, like an implant in my arm for a while, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which I'm salty because it left like a really big yucky scar. It's nasty, but um, but it worked is the bottom line, is that it worked. And my doctor here, in, well, he's in Scottsdale, but he was also a drug addict. Okay. So it's much easier to deal with a doctor that gets it. I, you
0: know, I, I can imagine. I can imagine.
1: It makes all the difference, because he's not looking at you sideways, you know? And when I came to my doctor in Scottsdale, this gets me every time. When I came to my doctor in Scottsdale, he um, did a history. You know, they sit and ask you, like, what drugs did you do? How long did you do them? This and that. And he was like, you had, based on what you're telling me, you had a 10% chance of being alive. Let alone, like, being a productive member of a society. Like, just the fact that you're alive is shocking. So for a doctor to tell you that is crazy. Yeah. That's why I named my book that. But I never put the book out. But I might. <laughs>
0: All right, we're, we're gonna talk about this book in a second because I, I i gotta work on you about that but b- before we get there um talk to me about um your 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 life as a stripper because i i think what what do you around what year was that well let's see i'm 45 oh my god
1: i'm
0: 45 stop it stop it
1: Bro, 45 that's 40. Oh, it's it's okay, it's closer to 50. Oh, (laughs) goodness lord, I'm 45. So, I'm 45, and what is this, 2020? So, (laughs) it was probably like 2010 through 2014 or 15.
0: Okay, so that's like that's like right right around the time that I met you. No, yeah. Yeah, I met you in 2010.
1: Well, then I got the numbers wrong because when I met you, I was in Phoenix, right?
0: I think you, well, yeah, I think you were in Phoenix and then you moved to Philly.
1: Okay, so yeah, then that's right. Like, I don't remember exactly when I moved to Philly, but I feel like it was like 2010. Gosh, 2010 or 11, something like
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I, I wanted to get the, the, the years right because. I, I met you during that time frame and then we, we we talked you know off and on it was it was it was sporadic but we but when we talked we always connected very well so I guess my thing is how how did you being in a strip club affect personal relationships that you had you know especially well being in a strip club and being addicted to opioids because because I because that's the main issue is the opioids how did it yeah. affect how did it affect your relationships with people because I was like, I know me personally. I can speak how I felt mm-hmm. during that time with you. I just I wanted to do everything in my power to help you. Like oh, thank you. I I love you. You know that. But I wanted thank I want to do everything in my power to help you. So we would we would have conversations and sometimes I couldn't get to you over the phone. And then and then will and then you know maybe a couple of weeks later, a month later, you you'll re on, on Facebook and you'll tell me some stuff. And so <laughs> I was just trying to, to be, I I, and I feel like I wouldn't for me. I feel like I wasn't able to give you enough, and I will always kind of felt bad for that. So no, tell me I you love way.
1: you too. You gave me a lot. Um, I just wasn't receptive. I wasn't able to. Um, I just wasn't able to receive anything. Like I was closed down. Like I just. Um, I felt like I'm gonna die, and that's the story. So I was just kind of almost waiting for that to happen, Mm. which sounds completely crazy because my life is so good now. And I'm so grateful and happy. And like, I never knew you could be this happy. I didn't even think it was possible. But um, I'm looking, I'm trying to look through my pictures to see if I can figure out when I got to Philly. But um, I just, I, I ruined my relationship. So like the most impactful relationship that suffered was my relationship with my brother. So my brother Sam is like my best friend. We grew up together. Like so we're really close and I know that I disappointed him and I was really devious and like manipulative and I would lie and I would borrow money and not return it and like he really like stuck it out. He's a trooper. Like I don't know how he did it. I really don't know how he did it, but he continued to be supportive and he was able to set boundaries. And um at one point he he brought me to a friend of his that was a drug counselor. And I feel mm-hmm. like that was the beginning of my journey to get clean. Now it took me years to actually do it. But that's what um inspired me or gave me hope that it was possible, even just talking to that man because prior to that I didn't think it was possible. Like, I really just didn't think it was possible. So um, I ruined my relationships probably with mostly everybody. Well, not ruined, that's not true, because we've reconciled, like, my brother and I are really close now, and I'm so grateful for that. Like, we have a great relationship, but it took a really long time for him to see me, like, consistently working and doing what I'm supposed to do and not relapsing before I had trust from him again. (laughs) because I wasn't trustworthy before at all I just wasn't and I wanted to be but you just can't it's, I'm it was incapable you're on drugs like you can't it's like complete and total self-centeredness you just it's, I don't feel like it's possible
0: it, it, it's, it's hard because it's like some it's like the something else is calling you and talking to you and it blocks out Everybody else from trying to reach out, no matter if brother, friend, whatever, even and yourself. Nothing
1: else matters.
0: Nothing else matters except for the addiction itself. Yep. Um, I, I do. I do like what your uh, your counselor said about don't trust your thinking because I think I think that uh, speaks a lot to not only addiction but also um, you know de- uh, depression and anxiety because I remember going to my counselor. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, and she would basically tell me something around the same lines. Don't you know? You can't trust your thinking because if I'm in the if I'm in the closet crying, thinking I, I should be alive, right. right? You know, because I'm you know I'm pathetic and and no one loves oh. me, no one cares about me. You can't trust that thinking. Like you yeah, your
1: mind plays tricks your on your mind you. is
0: your mind is literally telling you something that's not true, and that's, that's why I always had. I always had counselors or and people that, that helped me by give me like little things to do. Like I, like I, I posted a while on my site, um, colleges, you know, I am box where mm-hmm. I started putting positive things that people said about me. So when the times where my mind was trying to trick me, I right. still had that box to read and be like, this is what people are saying about you. This believe this. Don't believe this. Don't believe what's in your head. So I, I don't, those words are so powerful. Um, it, it speaks to me about how it, how how close addiction and 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 depression are are related because for a while in this country they treated addiction as if it was a criminal act and not right. a disease. Yeah, and, and like you said, there's a, there's been a shift where now it's it's, it's treated more, um, but. Of course, I think it's it's because so many, like you say, it's because suburban. white
1: people are doing drugs now, right? Which is irritating as hell, like right. for real. It,
0: but I mean, yeah. that's how I feel too. I mean that that's the that's the reason why it's now it's now. Um, yeah,
1: it's acceptable now. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, like the norm. Man. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was 2011, I think, that I went to Philly. Okay, I'm looking at my old Facebook. I think it was 2000.
0: Eleven. That sounds right.
1: Or maybe twelve. Hold on. Yeah, it was two thousand twelve. Wow. How'd that work? I guess I wasn't there as long as I thought I was.
0: I mean, when you when you live the life though, it, it seemed longer. You know.
1: It, it was, does. It does. It. It. Yeah.
0: All right. So you were you were in in treatment for three years in Philly, mm-hmm.
1: right?
0: And so you, you talked about one once um your 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 son's father um um passed you really start getting focused in there. So once right. you got focused in treating your addiction, how that look like? How was the struggle? Was it was it relatively easy once you were focused? Did you still have setbacks? Talk to me how, how that was.
1: No. So even being focused, this sounds really bad, but even being focused, um, it took me a year to change my mind around to actually take action that would benefit my recovery. So like I would go to meetings, like my my therapist would recommend 30 meetings and 30 days NA meetings. And I would go, but I wouldn't really participate. So I was trying to kind of fake it until I make it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it took a good year before I started saying, okay, I'm not gonna take Xanax anymore. So Xanax was like my comfort drug. So like I would take Xanax because I have anxiety. I still have mm-hmm. crazy anxiety. But Xanax and methadone is a seriously deadly combination. Like mm-hmm. it's, it makes you feel amazing, but it will kill you quickly. Wow! So I would take Xanax and uh, what's that drug? Ecstasy. So I would take ecstasy in the club and then I would take Xanax during the daytime. And even when I was focused, like maybe I would stop the Xanax for a week or two but I would always go back to it. And I think it took me a good year before I actually was able to decrease my drug usage. Like almost just being focused was almost just opening up my mind to the possibility of listening to information that would help me or participating in the um, groups or making an effort. Like I got a sponsor in Philly. My sponsor ended up being strung out on drugs. Like it was a... It was bad. Like, it was really bad. And when your sponsor ends up being on drugs, you look kind of like, oh, man, like, you know.
0: That that takes you out. Because you're like, why am I doing this?
1: And she was on drugs the whole time. And I had no idea. Her daughter told me. And I was like. And then I got a new sponsor who's amazing. And I love her. And um, she's still to this day like. A light, you know, just a light in my life. We don't keep in touch a lot, but she was such an inspiration because she was just she had her shit together.
0: Yeah,
1: and she was single, and I um oh let me and she was single, and um I always still think I'm probably gonna be single forever. I only ever met like one man I wanted to marry, and he recently dumped me, which was so heartbreaking. But um, anyway, so I always feel like when I see women that are single um, that are OK, like she's so happy and she's so productive and she's successful and she's awesome. So she really was a great inspiration. And she always said to me and my counselor always said to me, like, you're going to be OK. Like they saw for some reason that I could do this, even when I thought I couldn't do it, they felt like I could. So that was that helped me a lot for people to have confidence in me.
0: Right. It's nothing like having somebody believe in you, even when yeah. you don't. Yeah. Because that, that that's the times when you kind of you kind of need to be carried. And um, I, I I'm lucky lucky enough that, that I've had that in my life because sometimes woo. Man, <laughs> my if father.
1: I asked my father one day. Because um, when I first came, da- came back to Arizona, I dated somebody that was on drugs. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really true. Like, you attract what you are. So I was, like, on the tail end of my addiction. I wasn't on drugs, but I still had the addiction thinking kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard. It is so difficult to deal with somebody on a daily basis that is on drugs. It's really hard. So I asked my father, like, how did you do it? Like, how did you deal with me? And how did you not, like, be up? Because I was up at night scared that he was going to die or he wasn't going to come home or, you know, something horrible was going to happen. And my father said, um, I know you and I know who you are and I knew you were going to be okay. And I was like, whoa, like, that's like yeah, the biggest compliment ever that he never, ever thought I wouldn't be okay.
0: That's Which, great. Yeah, that's that's like... Unyielding support, like unwavering. Yeah, that that, that 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 does instill a lot of confidence in you. Yeah. Um, yeah in that definitely. so in that relationship, you you so you 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 do your treatment. You go you move back to Arizona. The mm-hmm. first one of the first things you do, you're in a relationship with somebody who's who's a drug addict. So I wanna I want I got two questions. <laughs> one, you said that was that a mess. You were on a tail end and. That you But you still had the addict mentality, you know, the yes. addict way of thinking. So I want you to explain to me that first. And then, too, uh, did that relationship kind of push you towards, you know, you know, falling off the wagon and, and starting no. back with your
1: addiction? It was the okay. opposite. It was the okay. total opposite. So um, and we're still friends. We're actually really good friends. Um, and I don't think he's on drugs anymore. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think he's doing better. But the addict behavior thing is kind of like. So like during my addiction, anytime someone told me they love me, I would in my head, I would be like, you don't love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. Like I would repeat that to myself, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. But I would just do that. That's what I would do. So I guess so I wouldn't be disappointed or I don't do that anymore. But. Um, so. My addict behavior was kind of like anticipating and creating drama. So like I never anticipated anything being peaceful. And if it was peaceful, I was gonna make sure it was no longer peaceful. And that was just my habit because that's all I had done for so many years. So I didn't know how to be comfortable in peace. I felt like I needed the excitement or the drama and the conflict. So I would always create drama and conflict. And when you're, you know, somebody that's on drugs is a really good person to create drama and conflict with. So that's what I did. Okay. And um, But it's it's a different perspective. It's a totally different perspective. And it helped me tremendously just to see, just to see what it feels like to be on the other side of that.
0: Right. It's temporary.
1: I didn't sleep. Like I would be so scared that he was going to die because all my friends are dead already. And he's in the streets doing drugs. So I would be like up all night, terrified that he wasn't going to make it. And it was obsessive. It was crazy. And, um, or like he can't make it without me. So even though the relationship isn't good for me, I have to stay and I got him into rehab, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to do that. So you don't, it doesn't work if you don't want to do it. Right. And even still recently, like the, uh, my, it was traumatic. I feel like sitting at home being terrified that somebody's going to die is traumatic. So yeah. even in my recent relationship, like it affects, I was overly, um, I don't know if you would say suspicious or controlling. Like if you tell me you're gonna be somewhere, I need to know, you need to be where you said you're gonna be, because it's like almost like um a trigger. Yeah. Like yeah. I would get all scared and be all jumpy. It's crazy. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it.
0: All right. So once you once you kind of got out of that relationship, talk to me about your transition to happiness now. So you you went from the tail end of your addiction to now where you've been uh, the most happy you've ever been in your life.
1: Yes. How that happen?
0: Talk, talk to me about that.
1: So the first thing was that um, there's a person on Instagram and Facebook. Her name is Megan Mack, and she has a business that's called it's like a female wellness business, and it's called Yes, God, Wellness. And she put something up one day about a gratitude list, right? So she taught me how to do this gratitude list. And she was like, just try it for a week. And I do it every single day. And it's like my saving grace. Like, I feel like it turned my life around in a way that is almost unbelievable. Like, so every morning I do a gratitude list and it's a little much, I mean like everything, down to like my refrigerator and my curtains in my house and my every everything you know of course you can't get everything every day but it's a long list Mm -hmm. that I do every morning of everything that I'm grateful for and then it's it's also become an affirmations so like I go through I'm grateful for this that this that and then I am greatness I am peace I am this that the whole list and I feel like that was the um, the main catalyst for change. And I started believing in myself. I went back to school. First of all, I had no idea I was smart. My whole life, I
0: just didn't. You had no idea you were smart?
1: At all. So like my whole life, I thought I wasn't smart, but people told me I was pretty. So I felt like I needed to really like cash in on that because that was my you know, positive attribute, but I thought that was kind of my only positive attribute. So I went back to school and I'm a 4.0 student. Like I'm really good at school. Like I'm smart. And that shit was so encouraging. You are smart. I didn't know that. And it was Man, I was like, oh, bro, my brothers are so smart. Like, my brother's a lawyer. My other brother's a genius. Like, they're all really, really smart. So to know that, like, I was part of that group gave me so much more confidence. Like, going to school was the best thing ever. I mean, I just love to learn. And it, and it it made me feel confident and strong. And then from there, I started just manifesting things like you know how they say and i always roll my eyes in the past i always did when people would say i manifested this or i manifested that but it really is true like so an example is that i work at a company and I, i've been working there for almost six years okay. and for the first three and a half four years three and a half years i worked i made not very much money at all and I had an opportunity to go into a different department in the company and make a lot more money, but I was afraid to do that because I wasn't confident in myself. Like I was like, I can never make that much money. Like I probably won't be good at it. And then I finally did it. And I like, when you, I tripled my income. Wow. Walking into the same building. That's like, unbelievable like that's something that doesn't ever happen and not only that when I started the job I said I want to work at home so I want to make this much money and be able to travel wherever I want so I asked my trainer at the very beginning um do you think this job will ever transition will it ever be available to work at home and he was like never never it's a sales environment like you need the the group energy you need the sales environment there's this is not the kind of job that'll ever be at home and I was there, I kept saying, no, I'm going to work at home. And I was there in that position three months. And they chose 10 people off out of everybody. And it's a lot of people that have been there a long time. And they chose 10 people to do like a pilot for work at home. Mm. And I work at home now. Like I'm a permanent. So like I'm, I'm buying a house now. Wow! Like I never thought I, my credit was like four hundred. It was horrible. Like it was so bad to where you would have had to make an effort for it to be that bad.
0: <laughs> it was really,
1: really bad.
0: It was horrible.
1: But um, I'm I'm I just got a pre-qualification letter to buy a house. Like I just, I guess maybe that it was that I realized I could do. I could do anything. And I never knew that before. I never felt like I could do things that other people could do and be successful at it. So now I have a plan. Like I'm buying a house. I'm going to be there six months out of the year. And then I'm going to be in Atlanta for three months. And I'm going to be in Philly for three months. Like I can be wherever I want. That's crazy. Who gets to do that? You. Right?
0: Because you manifested it. (laughs)
1: It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And it happens like there are little things, like when we changed from when we were doing the transition to the pilot to the work at home pilot, they were going to put us in a different area of the building, right? Mm -hmm. So two people would go home every week because they were still figuring out the kinks and stuff. So they were like, okay, so our group is going to sit in this different part of the building. We had no idea what part of the building was going to be. And I walked through the building and I saw this window. And the window was like there was a bush outside with like all these flowers. Like so the window was like covered with flowers. And I was like, wow, it would be dope to sit by the window with the flowers. The next day they were like, oh, you're sitting over there in the window with the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did not tell anybody that i wanted to sit by that window and it's a really big building it's huge (laughs) it's stuff like that that just is like shocking and and like just amazing like amazing things happen to me every freaking day it's crazy even when i'm sad i'm not really sad
0: Right, you know, because you know what you know what real sadness is. Right. So right. so even even being remotely sad now, you be like, yeah, I'm not. It's ice. not
1: the same thing. Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's really not. Like I was nursing a broken heart, and I was all like, oh my god, like I, I've never been really dumped before. Like I never really had like a, you know, broken heart like that. Well, that's not true. Maybe high school. But but even even with that, I was like. I know it's gonna be okay. Like, I know I'm gonna be okay. Like, I know I can get through it. It sucks and my feelings are hurt or whatever, but I know I'm gonna get through it. And um, I'm getting foster kids. Like, I'm so excited about that. I just started the process to get foster kids. And I think that um, things will be, things are good and things keep getting better. So I'm just, and now I anticipate things to get better because they have. They they've been getting better for like years.
0: So, before, you always thought things would be bad, mm-hmm. and it's things bad. always got worse, got bad because that's what you anticipated. Exactly. And now you 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 you've cleared your mind because it, in a sense the 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 opioids affected your mind and clouded your mind. So now you cleared your mind, and now you you expect positive things. So, of course, now positive things happen. And
1: and positive things that I did not imagine were even possible. So, maybe like to the normal person, to go to college and get a 4.0 is something that's achievable. But I did not think that was something that was achievable for me. I really didn't. I just didn't realize that it was, I'm a painter. Like people buy my paintings. Like I just pulled out, like I went to the store and got some canvas and some paint and I started painting and people buy my paintings like, and they're good. They're really good. Like, it's just, it's dope.
0: Well, I hope, I hope you, I'm I'm glad that you are finally realizing how talented you are.
1: It's amazing. (laughs) I can't even believe it. Like, yeah, I'm realizing and I didn't have any idea. I really just honestly was like, okay, I'm pretty and that that needs to carry me. Not in a conceited way, but people right. were telling me that was my attribute. So I just felt like that was what it was. No one ever said I was smart. Like But
0: or, but actually I get you with that. When when so when you hear that more than a few times and you don't hear anything else, you That's you, all you ever,
1: you ever hear. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and so for me it, it wasn't it would not being attractive i didn't hear that i heard um you know you're nice and you're funny
1: right and so i was like hilarious and nice.
0: Well, thank you but so in my mind i thought in order for people to actually like me to, to accept me i need to always be funny i need to always be nice i can never yep. be me i can never have a bad day i can never show anybody that 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 Jerry is not funny or nice. Jerry, right. because Jerry, because Jerry don't can't be smart. Jerry can't be attractive. Jerry can't have a nice beard. None of that. Jerry is 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 nice and he's funny.
1: Your beard is off the chain, though. <laughs> you got a dope beard. The beard is good.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I work hard on it. It's the whole process.
1: <laughs> Man, I don't know how you do it, but it looks good. It's great.
0: Thank you.
1: I'm so glad beards are in style. I hope they stay in style forever.
0: Me too, because I get a chin this way. I, I don't have like, a chin otherwise.
1: Listen, it's the best. Well, my father and my uncles always had beards. So I feel like it's like my comfort place. Like, I feel like men should have beards. I get that. I get that. Yeah. All
0: right, so let's talk about this book. Oh. You know i was coming back to that. So. Yes. You originally was going to write an autobiography about your life and you were going to, and you titled it, um, uh, you're going to title it, um, uh, 10% chance of, oh
1: uh, 10% chance of life.
0: 10% chance of life.
1: Mm-hmm. And I wrote it
0: and you wrote it. So it's done.
1: It's done, but nobody read it. So here's the thing. You know, those rappers that rap right? and they think they're really good rappers, right? but nobody tells them they're not that good. So they, you know, have like overconfidence about it. I feel like that's what I'm afraid of with my book because I gave it to people to read and nobody read the whole thing. So I was like, if nobody read the whole thing, maybe it's not as good as I think it is. You know, I mean,
0: right? No.
1: Like I would think if, if it's good, then people would want to keep reading it. And I gave it to my people. Like, I gave it to a lot of my people. And I appreciate that they tried to read it, but I feel like if they didn't finish it, the only person I think to finish it was the editor that I paid. And I was like, maybe it's not that good. And a book is different than, like, the little blogs and stuff I used to write. A book has to keep your attention all the way through. And I don't know if it's good enough. And I got scared, and it's very vulnerable. Like, it tells everybody everything about me. Which
0: is a lot. Well, uh, I get the vulnerability part, uh, and, and and as we talked off mic, it's 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 hard because even when I talk about my depression anxiety, you know, the suicidal thoughts I've had, things of that nature, it's hard to, it's, you know, w- when people call you brave and call you heroic and you know that, that you're doing this, you all you do is feel raw and exposed at the at the end. So right, even even when I made the little video about the IM box. That's mm-hmm. something light, but in a sense, I was nerved up the entire week before I did it. I, I, I was preparing myself for two hours prior, prior to me doing a 10-minute video. I did the video, and I sat here on my couch, and I was just like, ugh. For like, but
1: it went great, right? It went
0: great. It went it, great. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It went great. I got I got a lot, hundreds of views.
1: Yeah.
0: Hundreds of views, but I agonized over that.
1: Right. So tell me again why you can't do this book. Because Because I think it sucks. Okay. So there's, that's, there's two reasons. The first reason is that I'm extremely vulnerable, but I could be that vulnerable if I knew it didn't suck, you know, but you can't be that vulnerable and suck. And a book is a difficult thing to write and for it to be good. Like it's, I don't know. I'm scared.
0: If you're you're vulnerable and your true self, it's not going, it's not going to suck. It's as simple as that. I I get I get what you're saying, but here's this this is my mindset every time I write a blog, Mm -hmm. every time I do a podcast. Like I don't I I don't look at the podcast stats for this. I can't because I'm gonna stress you out. It's gonna stress me out. I made the mistake, I made the mistake a couple days ago and looked at the stats. I started drinking tequila instantly. It was like twelve o'clock in the middle of the day.
1: But it takes forever. You know that it takes. It does. Really it does. But but, yeah. but at, the, at, the,
0: at the same time, it, it takes. First of all, you got to make sure that the content's right, and then you got to push. Yeah. You are a natural salesperson. You just sit there and told me twenty minutes ago that you were able to sit there and, and, and get and get doctors to, to give you prescriptions. Yes. I think I think that you can get somebody to buy a book. I don't know.
1: I'm, I I want to put it out. But I don't. I, I might be ready now. I'm scared. I'm I, really I, I scared. Think,
0: I think the place that you're in right now is 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 good. So I I think um, and here's and here's what we can do. Here, here's here's how I can help. All
1: right. You want to um, read it? You can read it. If anybody will read it, I will feel 100 better about it. But nobody's read it. Well, seems to be. Okay. If you read it, that would help. That would help tremendously because nobody ever reads it. So I feel like it probably isn't.
0: Send it to me. I'll I'll read it. And when you put it out, we can bring you back on the podcast so we can sit there and talk about the book. Oh my goodness. So now we promote it. Yeah. I I really don't have
1: anything to lose.
0: You don't have anything to lose. And 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 all you will be at the the, at the very least, let let's say, let's say 10 people read the book. Mm -hmm. You have just helped 10 people
1: yeah that's true that is true it's, i was on periscope it just for the course of history for 10 people that is true that's a really good point that's absolutely true i was on periscope for a while talking about the book and i even just being on periscope like i was able to impact people and it was great it was really great i was so happy that i could do that um Nobody's brought that up in a while. I'm so scared to put that book out.
0: Yeah, I'm I'll bring it
1: up to you. There's a lot in it. it I is, mean a lot. I know I know it's a lot in it, but you, I did some dirt, Jared. Like dirt, dirt. We all do dirt. Yeah. Well, I'm not squeaky clean. I
0: ain't gonna tell you about it on mic right now. I'll tell you about it afterwards, but listen,
1: I listen. I did some dirt <laughs> in that book. It, it was bad. Like I was just such a self-centered person, and I didn't care about anybody else's feelings. And I was super manipulative. Whew.
0: But you're a different person now. Look at look look what you told me. I'm writing this stuff down like, like foster kids, home, like triple your salary, like.
1: Yeah, like, like it's manif- amazing.
0: positive affirmations, positive thoughts, manifesting things. You're sitting over, you sitting no, you you having to working at home. You sitting by the window Isn't with the flowers. Crazy? Dude, this is you. I cannot not believe my life is as good. It's you're really not the same person anymore. All right. the more reason to sit there and, and and show people, hey, this is where I came from, and this is how you can make it. I made the change. Yeah, and did that. So hopefully, you
1: don't have to go through that. Yeah, Ooh. I'll send it to you. I'll think, but you have to tell me if it sucks. I I will I will I will I will give
0: you positive, constructive criticism if need be.
1: Listen, I gave the intro to someone who shall remain nameless, and I really thought my intro was off the chain. I was like, that intro is good. Like, it's a really good intro, and it came back so red like marked up and I was like oh man it wasn't as good as I
0: thought it was wait you know how many blog posts I have sent out and and people like uh like Kim or somebody will will, will look at it be like you really should get a proofreader you know when you send your blog post out, and I'd be like,
1: Ooh, "I read it three times."
0: <laughs> it's part of being a writer.
1: It's part of being a writer. Right, I'm sensitive about my shit. I am. But I, I want to know if it sucks. I do want to know. I don't want it. I don't want it to go out sucky.
0: But but I I get I get, I get what you're saying because I'm the same way. Like yeah. like I I appreciate I appreciate people telling me that so I can correct it. But at the same time, like this is my shit. I'm sensitive about it. Don't be criticizing my. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's but, personal. It's so personal. It's personal. Which going which is gonna make it good because it's personal. Oh my god.
1: I mean, I left Philly. I left Philly owing somebody over twenty thousand dollars. Wow. And just left and was like, thank you. And I have since apologized and tried to like, you know, we're okay. But just the fact that who does that? I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty bad. But a different I mean, person that's not you. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was a demon. It was bad. But um, I'll I'll send it to you. S- send me a book. And then a- what about work? Like, do you think work would hold it against me? I always wonder, like, if it's a bad look for the company. No, probably not. That's silly, right? No.
0: You, you could always uh, write under a pseudonym if you want to. That's true. You have you have pseudonyms. I do have one.
1: I, I only do. have one.
0: You only have one now,
1: but it's a good one. Ginger Bell.
0: Yeah, I yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. I like that one. And and and, and for me, that's who that's who that was. Then it wasn't yeah. Brown. It was Ginger Bell. That's true. So
1: you're really yeah. just writing a story about Ginger Bell. That it's, makes me feel better. Actually, running. I feel better about that if I think of it that way.
0: Yeah. yeah, because because you have to you have to understand. I I knew Ginger Bell and Hannah Brown. That's and how what I knew are you it. different people, right? They're completely different people. Wow, what was your impression of Ginger Bell? Ginger Bell, just I, it, it, you know <laughs> what? As as much as Ginger Bell was was sexualized and and, right. people, and people thought she was. She was, you know, extremely attractive and wanted to have sex with. Right. I just, I, I love Ginger that I wanted just to give her a hug. I just wanted to be there for her.
1: Thank you. I needed a hug.
0: <laughs> and with and with Hannah, I got nothing but pride. I'm, I'm just so proud. Like it's, it's breathing. Like I'm, I'm so excited. So it, it, it's, it's, I love them both. It just, took, it just different types of love. Yeah, it was a whole
1: different ball game. It yeah. was totally different. But, um, I'm gonna send it to you and we'll see.
0: And, we, and we're gonna work on this. We're gonna work we'll on work it.
1: On, do books even sell anymore? It has to really be an audiobook, right?
0: You, it, books do sell, but you could make an audiobook. And I can see you making this an audiobook, it would be really good as an audiobook.
1: I think it would be much better as an audiobook. You could do both. But I, every time I like even reading the intro, I try to read the intro. On Periscope one time, and I just it's so emotional.
0: Well, the great thing about audiobooks is that you can take all the time you can and all, yeah. as many takes as you can. So yeah. it's not even it's not even an issue. We're we're gonna talk about this more. I'm gonna stay on you about this.
1: Okay, all I right. need somebody to stay on me about yeah, it. I'm gonna stay Otherwise, on. Otherwise, I definitely won't do it.
0: All right, I got you. So <laughs> is there anything that you wanna wanna say and you know to, to finish everything off? Because thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for doing this, you, you hit me up. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is a great idea. Oh my, oh my God. Why did I call you beforehand? So Thank
1: you for having me. I'm so happy that I did it. Um, I need to do it more. Like, I feel like it's, it's like a responsibility to tell yeah. people that I made it through it, but it's also kind of intimidating and scary, but I'm doing it again. Like I'm speaking on Thanksgiving and like an NA thing, so I'm gonna try to do it more as much as I can.
0: Yeah, and you are so
1: nervous, but you're good. Like you really do make me comfortable. Cause before you got on the screen, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I'm scared. <laughs> I was sweating and everything. I was so nervous.
0: We got through this together. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that, and we and when you when you. Talk more about this and put it on your social media. We'll make make sure I'll share it and everything too. Okay. All right.
1: I will. I'll do it. So,
0: again, thank you so much, so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I will talk with you soon. You have to send me your email.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank Hannah Brown for her riveting conversation about her journey through opioid addiction. Um, Conversations like this need to continue to happen and we need to make it normal for it to happen. Now, Before we get out of here, i got to give the shout-out of the week. And this week's shout-out of the week goes to Lisa and Freddie Thomas McBillan. Now, they're the owners of a little restaurant in Bruton, Alabama, called Drexel & Honeybees. Now, what makes them special, and I found out about them through um, Instagram, through um, a site called Black Label. Um, they, have, they only have one rule. Everyone eats. So from Tuesday to Thursday, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., um, they serve up hot plates. And uh, once you're finished eating, you know, there's no suggested price. So, you know, if you want to leave a little bit of change, you want to leave a, a big donation, uh, you want to leave a thank you card. They are appreciative of all of that. It's 100 percent donations and uh, just giving back to a small town, making sure that every everyone eats. I think it's 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 so indicative of the holiday season, even though I'm not a real big fan of the holidays. But you know, whatever, I am a fan of giving, so I want to shout them out. So, uh, Lisa and Freddie, thank you for doing what you're doing, and you and you continue to inspire others. Now, with that being said, we've covered everything we have to cover. I'll see you next week.